Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Opposing Points podcast. I'd like to welcome Alina Kanner to the podcast. Uh, Alina is a board-certified athletic trainer and also runs her own podcast at Move Your BB that you should listen to if you're interested in health and fitness and human movement. You can also follow Alina on Instagram and Twitter at Alina Kanner. Welcome to the show, Alina. Did I miss anything? No, thank you so much for having me. Awesome. So I don't think that brief description does justice. So can, can you talk about your background in fitness and what, what made you want to pursue it? Sure. Yeah. So I went to grad school at University of Arkansas to work uh, really with sports teams. I wanted to work with gymnastics to kind of be on the sidelines and get them better with their injuries. Um, so I became a certified athletic trainer, which is a very deceiving name for what I do because, and this is like something that we've been trying to fight that athletic training board on but really I do rehab and uh, kind of injury prevention all that stuff emergency care for athletes or at this point for anybody so in the last five to six years I've been studying postural restoration and that's really what I've been doing um, for my clients and I do train people on the side so it's like a mixture of movement fitness but also restoring people to feel better in their body and um, get things to work properly. And, you know, there's always kind of a, a way out of discomfort. You just have to find it. So that's right. Kind of, so can you, can you explain a little bit about what postural restoration is or, or, yeah. or PR, PRI for, for people um, yeah. and, 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 why, and how it may buck common kind of fitness trends that are, are being pushed? Yeah. So it's tough because my hall background on fitness. I've been working out since I'm really young. I was a gymnast and um, an Olympic weightlifter. And a lot of my thoughts on fitness have changed really because of PRI. And that's a good thing because I see the, the way that people move actually in reality, the way it really works. So PRI is based off the idea of um, asymmetry and how we are all asymmetrical. So we have our diaphragm on the right side of our body and on the left, and the one on the right happens to be bigger and larger, and it pumps more throughout the day. You take about, I mean, an athlete takes probably anywhere from 22 to 25,000 breaths a day. Mm -hmm. A normal human may be 20 to 22,000 breaths a day, and your diaphragm has to pump in order for you to do so. And you have one that's really big on the right that's doing most of the work and kind of pulling you over to the right side. And then you have different compensations that come along with that. You have a heart on the left side of your body, that keeps your left chest wall open and you don't have one on the right. So we're a little more compressed on the right side. You have different things that happen such as left hip coming forward only on the left side or sometimes people have it on both sides, depending on who they are. And these little compensations happen all the way down at the feet and all the way up to the head. And it really all stems from the fact that you have your left brain controls the right side of your body and there's more neuromotor points on that right side of your body in that brain. So you have this brain neurology asymmetry, and then you also have this organ asymmetry that just feeds into it. So it's, people will ask me all the time, like, oh, I'm asymmetrical. How do I fix this? You don't, can't fix your asymmetry. You're born that way. And if you weren't, that would actually be a problem, but you can fix how you manage it. And that's really the key. So now I work with people to get them feeling better. A lot of people come to me in pain and um, help them get kind of out of pain just using what I've learned from PRI. So there's about like 750 different breathing techniques. So the fastest way to change anything in your body is through respiration. Mm -hmm. And then we also here are working with 
dentists and optometrists and podiatrists to help. Those are just different systems that we look at because the body can kind of be off with managing the asymmetries. And sometimes we need to have help from other um, people that manage all those other systems. So uh, your visual system and your dental, your occlusion system have a lot to do with how you hold your body. So those are the things we look at. That's kind of a little bit of a basis of PRI. It's super new. It's only about 20 years old. Um, Ron Haruska is the founder. It's based out of Lincoln, Nebraska. And he's basically this brilliant guy who grew up on a farm and looked at animals and noticed their asymmetries and um, went to dental school and decided he's going to like drop out of dental school to mm -hmm. study this. So he put all, he basically took all this anatomy research information to, and put it together and founded PRI. And he's been doing this for a while and it's pretty wild, the stuff he's getting into. Um, he works with like Broadway singers to like people with Parkinson's. And so it's like a wide range of things that we can help and work with. So, yeah. So fitness, normal fitness trends, a lot of what I see, I hate to say like things are wrong or bad because nothing is really wrong or bad. It's just you're able to get back into homeostasis. And I don't think a lot of people, especially in today's society, are able to do so. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. You mentioned uh, singing. My brother like does opera, and he always is focusing on like how his diaphragm aligns and and uh, and doing breath work and stuff like that. And the other thing that stuck out to me that you're talking about was uh, how you how you're talking to dentists. Um, I have I have a, a friend that the doctor basically said that um, cracks were in the teeth based on 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 posture um, from from sitting, and that a standing desk might be helpful to alleviate that pressure on the teeth. Um, is there anything to that or is he just, um, I would agree with some of it. I'd agree with that has to do with his posture. Um, I don't know if a standing desk would help him exactly. <laughs> I would say, what is he doing throughout the day? And especially throughout the night to yeah. me, somebody who cracks their teeth is using their entire teeth, their occlusion, their jaw for stability. And they're not there. I would want to put my hands on that person's neck and see what's going on. Mm -hmm. Or I'd want to just assess them and see how are they managing the rest of their asymmetries. I'd want to look at their face and see how asymmetrical that is. And then I'd probably give them some techniques to, change that up. But I wouldn't say a standing desk would help because ultimately he's sleeping at night. It's probably happening at night, laying down flat and mm -hmm. going to crack a tooth. So cracking teeth. Um, and I have a couple clients with that problem is actually a more of a stability issue. You are looking for stability somewhere and you do not have it anywhere else in your body. I'd want to look at his feet too and look at what shoes he's wearing. So it's a very, very holistic approach. Um, it's really different. And so the dentist isn't wrong, and I think it's cool that the dentist is looking outside the box and saying it's posture, but I don't think the dentist totally knows the full picture of it. You right. would if you took a PRI course, though. <laughs> um, and then about the opera, it's interesting because singers spend so much time talking about their diaphragm, and then they're the worst at controlling their diaphragm. Mm -hmm. So if you actually look at a lot of singers, they will stand more on their right leg when they're singing. Mm -hmm. home and it's comfortable for them they'll have better projection of their voice on their right leg um but they need to be able to do to get to the left side and um yeah so singers they practice it but i don't know if they're as advanced with the looking at it in an asymmetrical standpoint but there's um pri is doing a course this weekend i'm not taking it but it's called voice box resonation and it's literally he, Ron's been working with Broadway singers for a while. And so this is like what he's come up with. 
about how posture and just how we are managing our asymmetries has a lot to do with where the vocal cords are and what happens to the vocal cords. It's really interesting. That is really interesting. Um, yeah. And and you mentioned like the hip, the hip thing. Is that something that's more common among women than men? Do you see some things distributed unequally as far as misalignments? Um, so that left hip being forward is is uh, pretty much every single person around you. Um, every human, I've seen maybe one person that is neutral where neither hip is forward. And then there's a lot of people that live in like New York City where both hips are forward. And so, where's my little pelvis model? When you have a hip coming forward on one or both sides, let's say you're more, you're gonna always be more on the left, then you have a sacrum and a spine that is what we call oriented, not rotated, but oriented, so looking in one direction. And it puts you more on your right leg. Then you have people that have pulled both forward because they live in Manhattan. And so that's really stressful for them. <laughs> so, and it's just all ways to breathe better. So that's it's not a bad thing. Yeah. It's not a bad thing. It's just, um, can you manage it? So, and then what I do with people is, you know, allow them to have the ability to get their hips back and move side to side. Because ultimately when you walk down the street, you need to be able to do both. Right. We, we're here. So a lot of times we're not really doing the getting the left hip back, right hip forward. Never getting into what we call left stance. We're staying on our right side and our right side is home. So that's really like a bit about PRI. It's really fascinating. And I've been studying it now for three years. And I mean, I came, moved down to Texas to study it more. And it's just crazy because I look at, like you're talking about like the difficulties in fitness. It's the same with like physical therapy. People go in, they have shoulder pain. They go in three times a week for six months and they come out and they still don't feel better. It's like, it's not supposed to be this hard. <laughs> yeah. I, in college, I, um, I had a, like a shoulder issue from, from benching too much. Um, and when I went to PT, they said I was like, had a winged shoulder or something like that or something. So I spent the whole time basically doing back exercises on that, like to even it out. But yeah. did it work? Uh, I mean, I still have shoulder pain, so so no. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it looked more even afterwards, definitely from like behind. Yeah. How much it came out, but I mean, the shoulder issue itself never really quite resolved. I still yeah. don't, you know, the full full range of motion. Right. So you're an asymmetrical human, and then they probably gave you some normal PT banded work for somebody who's pretty strong, right? Bench pressing, but they didn't incorporate breathing. So something that's actually going to change. And they probably didn't incorporate the exact right muscles you need to allow your shoulder blade to sit better on your rib cage. So that's like, it's so tough for me because I, I hear these stories all the time and I'm just like, wow, like we need to do better as a healthcare, like in healthcare, we all need to do better. And so I'm grateful I found PRI, but I just... Yeah, I'm like a walking example of this. Like I mentioned to you before, like I had the, uh, the uh, periotendinitis thing and they just put... Uh, what's it called? Uh, you know, cortisone shot in the in the foot. Always. And I'm sure there was like something else. And I have some background that the body's connected because uh, when I was a kid, my brother trained with the guy, a guy that specialized in, in kinesiology. Yeah. Um, so he he knew to look for that sort of thing. Um, so I was I was like, oh, there's probably something else. But that yeah. that's the fix for the average person. Like, oh, I just need a cortisone shot and to uh, and to maybe uh, do nothing else, uh, maybe stretch a bit more before I run, which is another thing that we were told. I'm not sure that's, uh, yeah. like, I feel like dynamic stretching is, is more the way to go. Even yeah. Though. 
For running, like if I were to go and run, yeah, I would move around. I'd do some, I would personally do my PRI breathing techniques and then, you know, kind of slowly run and warm up using my run to warm up. Or even if I were to do Olympic weightlifting right now, I'd use my weightlifting to warm up. But right. we do so much static stretching. And unless you're a gymnast or a dancer, you don't need that range of flexibility. And underneath it, we're these patterned individuals mm-hmm. that have a hip forward, maybe on one or both sides. And now we're just stretching and elongating our hamstrings and they're, I saw somebody today, she could basically bring her foot to her face and then that looks great and all, but she has no hamstring. Yeah. So, so I shouldn't feel too bad about not being good at no, you. No, 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 no. There's a reason a body has tension. There's a reason a body loses complete tension. People, I, from my experience, people that have no tension and are dancers, yogis actually are in more pain. Mm-hmm. So. So, and I can say that because I was a gymnast, so it's, yes. it's allowed. Exclusive, exclusive privilege yeah. to on that. What are some of the other things that um, that maybe you learned in school, and that um, you know, and then when you when you started learning PRI, that really blew your mind? Or like like myths that I learned in school that every yeah. PT school is learning, and I'm like, oh my god, how are yeah. we here? the broader the broader myths that we learn in school? We can narrow it down to yeah, to- <laughs> yeah, I'll narrow it down. So we learned about posture with plumb lines. Mm-hmm. And like the craziest things about posture that I'm like, oh my God, this makes absolutely no sense. So we'd like stick a little line coming from the ceiling and try to line yourself up with it. It's like ended up putting people in more arching of their back. And this idea of like, even in fitness, they talk about it all the time, like neutral spine. Okay. Mm-hmm. But like your neutral is going to be different than my neutral. And what really is neutral? There's no objective measurement to check what neutral is. Certain things, I'm just kind of like, wow. Or like, for example, ultrasound is something we learned about like in school and I used on so many athletes. I've got one, yeah. Yeah, a little machine and you move it in circles. And we learned in school, our professor, if any of my classmates listen to laugh, but he taught to us saying like, the particles move and it's like that song, uka chaka, uka chaka. And that was like how we learned to understand the mechanism of how it's working. And like, I would never, I don't need that now. I don't need modalities in general because I know how to get somebody better from the inside out versus putting something on them. I'm all for somebody sitting in a hot tub and and, and that's relaxing to their system or using a Normatec, which is like these pants that people put on that's compression. And I am all for that for an athlete, but that is not a way to, that's not treatment for anybody. Is it, do you think it's just groupthink? Like, why, why is this stuff so commonplace um, and, 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 and PRI seems to be like groundbreaking, although you said, you mentioned it's, you know, 20 years, but do you think it's groupthink that, that we're still doing this laziness? Um, I think it's a few things. Yes, I do. I think it's been taught. It's like, this is how we've done it, right? Like you look at coaching, it's like, there's so many better ways to coach. And it's the same with this. There's so many better ways to teach this but this is how we've done it. This is approved for these DPT programs, athletic training programs, and this is how we learn in school. And so that's it. Whereas, and to be fair, you need to learn the physiology. You need to learn the anatomy. That stuff is very important. And that stuff doesn't really change, but the modalities classes and the treatment and mm-hmm. all that, I'm, I think Research, they have said it's about 20 to 25 years in the past with school, what we're learning in school. And to me, with healthcare, when things change so quickly, how is it not more up to date? Because of standardized testing. And mm-hmm. that's really 
the problem is that they need to have a test. They need to test you. But at this point, we're in 2021 and we are still teaching plumb lines. It's just, to me, it, it's very, it's hard. It's really hard to watch. And I know like new grad PTs come out all excited or new grad athletic trainers all excited. And then I think it's really easy to burn out in a system that you're not getting quick rewards from people. And if you're just going to give somebody banded exercises, yeah, it might work a little bit, but it's not a quick reward. PRI shows me immediately how much better somebody feels within one, one hour. So that's for me, very rewarding. And there are certain PTs, certain athletic trainers, certain fitness professionals that are looking for different things. They want to get their clients to feel better, but I have seen more actual personal trainers get people better than PTs just, and, and nothing against the PT profession. It's just that they're burnt out. They're seeing 16 people a day and you can be a trainer in New York city at Equinox and see eight clients a day, mm -hmm. make money per hour, but then you have the money to want and you have the will to learn and they they didn't just go through a four year, you know, PT program and they're kind of more interested in the body. And although there are a lot of PTs that are you know, interested. And there are ones that are definitely doing CEUs, but I think all the stuff is about your continuing education. And it's like, you have to put the money forth to do that as an athletic trainer. No high school is giving you the money. You have to go put that out yourself. So I think it's like almost more accessible sometimes if you're a trainer than it is for a PT or an ATC, which is sad because this, it should be, it is accessible for anybody. Anybody could pay for it and do it, but it's like, people are burnt out with their normal lives. So for them to go on a weekend course to go and do it, it's hard. Right. There are people that do it though. And those are the ones that end up, I think PTs that go cash-based. I personally, functional medicine PTs, I personally myself will only see cash-based people because I know they have spent a lot more time learning more and there's a reason that they're cash-based. Mm -hmm. So. I, I, think it's, I think what's also interesting is that I feel like sometimes fads just kind of burn through the other actual research research methods like and i look at um barefoot running and maybe this is just to make myself feel better but when i ran a marathon i saw this dude just burning the burning it completely barefoot not even with the vibram sneakers just running 26 miles barefoot in the winter on concrete uh, on concrete on on like a, a street so i guess it's yeah like, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and, and there was a huge push on that. And I'm not sure if there was any, any science behind it. And it, yet we had like a company come Vibram and, and put out a bunch of shoes. People bought them up. They looked weird, uh, like, like ah. amphibian water feet. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so, I mean, is there any basis for like how, how like for, for barefoot running at all? Like how, how did that even happen in your opinion? So here's my thing. And I'm actually doing a podcast this week on shoes. Here's oh, wow. my thing with barefoot. I wore barefoot shoes myself. I wore Vivo barefoot shoes for two and a half years. I had heel pain every day wearing them. I thought that was normal. Mm -hmm. It's not normal. You shouldn't have heel pain, first of all, anybody wearing them. People get <laughs> yeah. really heavy on their heels and they just don't realize. Um, I love the idea of training barefoot or going on a walk barefoot in grass, in uneven surface, or going on like a hike with a barefoot shoe, something that is uneven because you need your foot to be able to pronate, which is flatten and supinate, which is arch up. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is we walk, my apartment is flat, it's tile floor. We walk on flat ground. We walk on concrete flat ground outside. 
And I think in places like Africa or other places, they're not walking on streets that are like that. They're walking on streets that have some give to it. They're mm-hmm. walking on grassland. It's completely different. They grew up doing that. We grew up in shoes. It's completely different. So what we need is something that allows our foot to flatten in order to absorb force and then arch up to spring and kind of get from one foot to the next. When you are walking on only concrete and you have nothing under your arch to help you pronate and supinate, you're never going to pronate and supinate. Mm-hmm. So I train now. I used to train. I always trained with shoe really, but um, I used to sometimes train barefoot. But now I'm training on flat ground when I work out and I have a great shoe on. I use Brooks Ghost or a Brooks Adrenaline. I have an orthotic in there and it's, it's not a hard orthotic. So there's a mm-hmm. misconception there too, because people think, oh my God, orthotic, your foot's not going to work well. No, I have really great movement in all my toes. I can like, I was a gymnast, so I used to be able to hold the side of the beam and I could still do that. You can train barefoot. You can train your foot being barefoot, but also give it the way that it, like give it some stability so it can load really well. So when I got my orthotics, which are compressible, like they, you can push into them. They're very flexible. They're moldable. They move around. They're special PRI orthotics. I started doing like Romanian deadlifts and I felt crazy linked to my hamstrings. Like I've never felt it before. Why? Because I was actually more stable in and able to accept force from the ground into my mm-hmm. body. So I think barefoot running became a huge deal because people don't totally understand how the body works. And I think it was a really cool fad. And now people have made shoes. There's lens. There's so many different Vivo barefoot. There's so many different diff, like barefoot shoe companies. And now that's what they've made a living off of. And right. so, um, uh, I, I recommend a Brooks ghost to a lot of people. There's a shoe list. If you go on the PRI website, anybody can access it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it helps a lot of people. Um, and Lori, we're, we're having her on the podcast next week, but she does research every six months and she puts out a new shoe list. Awesome. That's really awesome for, yeah. for, um, I think you touched on, on, on your background in, uh, in gymnastics. Um, and I wanted to touch, touch on a couple of like athletic hot topics. Um, so one of those was, um, Simone Biles, um, she decided uh, to not participate in, in some of the Olympic events. Um, she, she mentioned like having the, um, twisties. Um, the the other hot topic was, uh, Naomi Osaka. She refused to speak with the media due to mental health. I think a lot of this started to divide along political lines as is, as does everything these days. Um, you you know, I, I, I saw Jason Whitlock, who's, uh, I think he's at the outkick and, uh, he, he commented that, you know, this is ridiculous that, that she's, that she's not competing. And I'm like, dude, you're 400 pounds. You can't do a somersault. Like these, these are people that can barely walk and chew gum at the same time. Um, so I'm just curious about, um, like, what are they getting wrong about this? I saw, I saw her today even say she's continuously, she still can't do those things and she's afraid. Um, to do it. Um, so Um, if you could speak a bit about that. Yeah. So I actually went and saw her at the Goldover America tour and I was talking to my mentor and I said, wow, she's really not twisting. And I noticed she's not, she only, she only did a half a twist, a double layout with a half twist and not nearly her like incredible difficulty she can have. This is what I'm talking about Simone. And, um, I worked with the gymnastics team and I also was a gymnast growing up and I've been around gymnastics for a long time. And I personally had a lot of mental fears when I was in high school. So people don't realize that when she's talking about mental health, 
with this specific thing, what she's actually talking about is how she had something called the twisties. Now that can present differently for different gymnasts. If we look at what happened to her, she has competed on broken like toes, broken bones. She's had, I think like kidney stones. She's had all these things and has competed through them. She's completely been undefeated since literally 2013. She has about three or four skills named after her. She's doing things that men do. She did a vault this year that no female has ever done or attempted. She's amazing. She's absolutely mm-hmm. the best gymnast. Ask any gymnast and they will say she's the best gymnast. Right. The world and GOAT has best ever, honestly. And so it's very interesting when she pulled out of the meat and what she did on vault, she totally got lost in the air. Any gymnast could have seen that. And it looked pretty scary she has really good air awareness so she was able to land on her feet but from what i read and what i saw is a couple things she was on adhd meds and they took her off of it during in tokyo it was banned substance there so that's a big stressor to the system if somebody's used to taking something and that that helps them focus and then they kind of get sprung off of it Mm -hmm. she's a sexual abuse survivor and Mm -hmm. She's been to many international competitions where probably that happened to her. So around then. So my thought is like the trauma surrounding that is probably really hard for her. And then also the amount of pressure she had going into this competition was not like a normal amount of pressure. She was literally headlining every commercial with Simone Biles. So it's not that. And she was doing a new vault that is very, very dangerous. So it's not that surprising to me what happened to her. Um, most gymnasts do experience some version of this, whether it's being scared to go for something, whether it's twisting and by accident going the wrong way or twisting and not just getting really lost in the air. She, her brain wants her to do it. She, she, her body knows how to do it, but her brain is kind of like locking up. Mm -hmm. So for somebody who doesn't do gymnastics to have any like say in this, to me is like, get out of here. You, ha- you shouldn't have a say in this. You have never done a backflip in your life and you don't know how dangerous these skills are that she's doing. So she, if she, to me, this girl knew her body so well at this point that she knew it wasn't gonna be a good day. I think she saved herself from, from injury. And mm-hmm. what she did was a really, really hard thing to do and I applaud her. I think if it was a couple years back where maybe the people in charge were who they were a few years ago. I wonder if she would have forced herself and maybe would have gotten hurt or would have somehow powered through it. I don't know. Um, that that is kind of scary to even think about. But yeah, I really it was it was hard to watch because of course I want to watch her compete and do well. But at the same time, it's never worth anyone's mental health. And now we're at the point in the sport where those girls have been through so much. Mm-hmm. And I think um, she has now become something that you can be the best gymnast in the world and yet still have some mental problems with your skills and that's okay. And I, it's interesting how she's still struggling with it. I think she, if she were to go back in the gym and train, eventually she would work herself out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I know from my own fears, like it's scary. I had fears with weightlifting going for certain things and fears with gymnastics, and it's scary. Sports are scary and it's not the same as shooting a free throw. Yeah. Like it's just not, you're, there's no danger to that. It's, it's, there's a whole danger aspect associated with gymnastics too that people don't get. And I think really the only other type of athletes that can understand this are probably divers, cheerleaders, um, any weightlifters too, a little bit, because you can get, you can do some weird things where you have hard time going for your, your, uh, 
like clean or snatch. And there are certain times where I would feel the same sensations I did as a gymnast as I would as a weightlifter. And that's maybe why I like the sport. But yeah, and to talk about Naomi, I don't know much about her. I I just think that when an athlete is so big, they have so much pressure that we a normal human cannot relate to them. Mm-hmm. So that's like my my say on that. Like if she felt that she couldn't do the interviews, like leave her be. I do yeah. think she probably gets paid a lot of money and like maybe those interviews are somehow like messing her up for the rest of the performances. I'm pretty sure those interviews were in the middle of her competition situation. Right, right. They're typically, you know, they, they, they have a conference after. Um, right. I, I think it's that you, you don't typically see like a Roger Federer um, or, or some of these other famous, um, I don't think Serena Williams has ever done or Venus Williams right. has been like, yeah, you know, I'm out today, too much press. Um, so I think, I think people are pointing to that as like, you yeah. know, a millennial generation um, weakness. Um, I think where, where it goes too far is like for this cause of like, uh, uh, like raw, raw patriotism. And it's like, it is just a sport. It's not a war. It's not anything. And I, and I think the left was largely more supportive, although maybe too embraceive of, of it. Like there's a point where like, I think there's, there's a saying like bravery is what you do in the presence of fear, not absence of it. And I think that, that there's probably some middle ground, but I thought, yeah, I thought yeah. I thought it was definitely the wrong thing to 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 go all jingoist um, yeah. about it. That's kind of how I feel on it too. Like, do I think she probably could have just pushed through and done some interviews? Yeah, probably. I don't think that's a matter of life or death the way Simone's could be. So I think the situations aren't too comparable. Although they're both about mental health, I don't. I think yes, Simone's is about mental health, but it's also about like what she had going on was like dangerous. I think right. that. Um, uh, Naomi Osaka probably probably had a lot going on mentally and it would have pushed her over the edge to do the interviews but mm-hmm. there is there is that taste of millennial there where uh, I'm not really millennial more Gen Z actually mm-hmm. millennials are pretty hard workers I think I like to think that <laughs> but Gen Z I feel like they're all about embracing you know and I do think that there is something that goes for pushing forward but it I can't, as a normal human with normal life pressures, I am not one to like say what I think Naomi Osaka should be doing, you know? Right, yeah. She is like completely different level of what she can do with her sport. Exactly. I I, I saw like people, it it just became like a politically based thing. Like Megyn Kelly came out hard against it. Um, And then, and then some of the other more liberal outlets were, were, you know, cheering her on. I think it's just really interesting how, like even that has become something that's like depending on on your political affiliation of in views of work um uh, shape yeah um, yeah the uh the last couple of uh, uh, topics i yeah. wanted to get your thoughts around um the body acceptance movement um and uh, i was listening to joe rogan talk about this as well when he was uh interviewing with sanjay gupta i think Great interview. By yeah, the way. I, 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 I agree. I thought it was excellent. And I did a write up on that. Um, and I, I think accepting your body is, is, is really important as far as self-esteem goes. You know, mm-hmm. maybe not everyone can get that six pack or be a certain shape. Um, mm-hmm. you're, you're born a certain way. And I think, you know, like the He-Man for, for men and, you know, n- name, name your Victoria's Secret model sure. um, for women. Um, and, and we're at the point where I think, being medically obese or obese is not just 
it, it's it's celebrated almost yeah. um, to be unhealthy. Um, and I don't know if there's really a scientific consensus of, like around this, but I you know I know there's been, been been magazine covers that are embracing these 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 heavy weights, and people aren't aren't fat shaming anyone. Like they just want them to be healthy, and it's the the key to a long lasting healthier life. Uh, a better immune system, generally speaking. Um, can you speak a little bit about uh, yeah. that, that movement, maybe, if you have an opinion on it? Yeah, and uh, it, yes, I do have an opinion on it. I do believe, me being, um, having gone through many different changes in my body and weight and being an athlete to not being an athlete and um, changing how I lift and, of course, my body changing through the years, I am at the point where I can accept what I uh, look like and feel, even though I don't have a six pack, even though I'm not ready for, to be on stage for a bodybuilding competition. And there's a lot said to that because that is really hard for most people and not everybody, but a lot of people do struggle with body acceptance. And I do think you should be able to accept yourself whatever size you're at. Mm -hmm. But I also do think that there should be always a strive for good health. And so I think you can accept yourself while striving to be healthy. I accept myself for who I am and what I look like, but I'm always striving to eat healthier, to be healthy, to, to have better blood work. And I don't know if we should endorse being, uh, having unhealthy relationships. I, I almost think that it goes a little too far with certain things. And Unhe I unhealthy relationship with, with like food or, or yeah, with food. And I think being, well, not all obese people, but there are definitely some genetic traits that you can be obese and have actually gene mutations that make you eat more. So mm -hmm. of course um, that doesn't really account, but I think that we need to be able to have a healthy relationship with food and understand like we're always trying to better ourselves. So I, I think you should accept yourself for where you are, but also strive to be your best self, which should be in different, um, obviously everybody's should is different, but I don't think we should be really promoting you know, just do whatever you want. And I think we should be promoting health overall. You should be looking at your blood work. You should be looking at all these different markers and making sure you are good, especially while we have a pandemic going on that has a lot to do with hitting people that are obese, like a lot of people in America, hitting people that are metabolically unfit. So, mm -hmm. and those things kind of go together or hitting people that have pre-existing conditions, whether they're autoimmune or whatnot. A lot of different things. So I think you can accept yourself and what you look for, but also know, okay, I'm maybe a little bit overweight and I can be happy with that, but I know that I should probably think about what I'm eating. Yeah. Um, personal anecdote, I, I went to a, a doctor uh, and uh, like, I think six months ago and uh, I, I generally keep pretty fit and the doctor's just like, don't get any more weight. Like just, just like the thick Russian accent. I'm like, okay, damn. Like <laughs> coming, coming for me. Uh, so some, some doctors, maybe you're still uh, willing to say it. Um, well, when I was 15, I had a doctor tell me I was like working out my hardest. I was barely eating and yeah. I was a gymnast and I had a doctor tell me, I said, I just don't understand why I can't get a six pack. Now I know why now, but I had a doctor tell me, I don't think your body will ever get that way. You're just not mm -hmm. like, that's not you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have hormone levels that are kind of all over the place. So it makes sense now, but you don't tell a 15 year old girl that who is yeah. like so self-conscious in their body. Like you're never going to get like that. So what I do starve myself more. Yeah. Right. Right. Which never helped. 
No. Um, so sometimes doctors, in my opinion, don't know how to um, speak to normal, like properly, mm -hmm. and on a lot of topics. And I think women actually, I don't want to say like men don't, because of course, obviously, if, if a doctor just told you that it happens to everybody. But a lot of times women have really terrible experiences and I hear about them and I'm just like, oh my God, whether it's uh, orthopedic doctor telling somebody like, you're going to need surgery. I had somebody the other day tell me for sure they're going to need hip surgery. I was like, you're not even in pain. Why are you for sure needing anything? Yes. Yeah. You know, other people struggling with hormones, telling them they're completely normal. And then you go and like actually look at their thyroid levels and it's completely not normal. And yeah, like, exactly. Crazy. Um, I think the the last thing on on the topic of, of healthcare is uh, I've seen you post on your on your Instagram some interesting opinions about uh, birth control um, that I think uh, people would be interested in in yeah. hearing. I've always been a little bit um, like hesitant uh, or or maybe cautious about it. I know there's a ton of research around it, but it just doesn't seem healthy to me. Um, just thinking about it for a woman to stop their natural body and yeah. I, and 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 it's typically recommended like oh you have acne go on birth control I know. Um, irregular yeah. period go on birth control um and it's it's just something that that girls are going on like i don't know if it's like earlier than 15 or 16 yeah. um but um can, can you just share a little bit about, about yeah. that and uh yeah so if you go into your doctor at 15 years old as a woman and you're saying you have acne which could be just hormonal and could definitely be a few things could be too high testosterone could be an imbalance between estrogen and progesterone testosterone they will suggest birth control which actually just shuts down your actual normal body's mechanism of having a period having a normal healthy cycle and put you on birth control and that will shut down your own progesterone which is a like relaxation hormone that helps you go to sleep better and it fluctuates throughout the month and it will give you what's called progestin which is a synthetically driven chemical that will shut down your actual progesterone situation. I have a big issue with doctors that just give it out like candy for acne, let's say, because first of all, the body can normalize. Second of all, now 10 years later, the woman has been on birth control this whole time because they've had bad acne and it keeps their acne at bay, but they never came to the root issue as to why they actually have acne. And they get off birth control and now they can't have a baby because they're having fertility problems. Mm -hmm. So. To me, it's a very unnatural thing to take a pill every single day or to have something in your body that stops your normal cycle. That's the first thing. That is not a natural way. I understand, of course, if people don't want to have a baby. There is a new birth control I just read about that came out that actually is not hormonal. So, oh, yeah, and I know Dr. Sean Tesson, who um, he just posted about it the other day. It's a non hormonal. But actually the pill, it actually increases inflammation in your body. Um, mm -hmm. And it's it, it just associated with a lot of inflammatory markers. It lowers your zinc. It lowers, I think, B, some different Bs. Um, so there's a doctor, her name is Dr. Jolene Brighton, and she has a ton of information about the pill. She wrote a book called Beyond the Pill. Mm -hmm. I am pretty much pretty against birth control. I use something called natural cycles. I take my temperature every single morning, literally laying in bed, Take it every single morning and it will tell me, first of all, where I am in my cycle, whether I'm ovulating, all these different things about my cycle. And it keeps track and I've been using it for over a year and it's 99% effective if you are not trying to have a baby. I've actually heard about this um, yeah. before, before you mentioned it. I, I think, I think it's, it's an, is it an informed, an informed consent sort of thing? Like you mentioned zinc and, and whatever. They're, not, they're probably not telling these people to start yeah. taking these vitamins. 
and they definitely have to obviously weigh the risk of 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 getting pregnant. Some people may hear those things yeah. and be like, "Yeah, no, I'm still I'd still rather not have a child at this point." Yeah. Um, yeah. But but I, I think it's something that that men and women need to to jointly advocate on at least more awareness of that. Yeah, like you're literally fertile. I think it's like eight days of the month. If you have a normal cycle, of course, if you're completely all over the place, not normal, then you need to look into your health and figure out what's making your cycle so off. There are so many different, there's Vitex, there's so many different supplements that can help with regulating a cycle. But if you are on a normal cycle, you have about eight days a month where you can actually get pregnant. So there, that app is great because it will tell you those days and you just avoid them or you know, you just kind of can know also a lot of girls have really bad mood swings or have they know what they start to feel before they're not themselves. Your hormones literally control who you are as a human. So there's a lot of jokes about girls like going crazy right before their period or eating a lot of chocolate. And it's true. Um, your hormones will change, but like you were saying, um, before just, I just think that putting an, uh, something unhealthy, like a, a pill into your body to stop something that's natural is could be a problem but also um well i don't know what what, what did you want me to kind of answer because i think i got no I, th I think i think i think you uh i think i think you got it um it, it was more so just about the some of the risks of it that you that oh, yeah, yeah 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 so. their doctors aren't really telling people because i don't think they know because they just learn in school my best friend's a doctor, so I can speak on it because I know what she's learned because I've asked her. They mm -hmm. just literally learned that that will help regulate a cycle. And that is not cycle regulation. Yeah. And uh, I wonder who, who funds the medical schools. That's a big topic. Yeah, right. Um, anyway, uh, is there anything that uh, else you'd like to add uh, before we uh, kind of give closing uh, thoughts? Yeah. Um, well, if anybody... I don't know, is hurting and can't find help. I do virtual, some stuff like that. Just yeah, so, so love to help people. Where, 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 uh, where can people uh, book trainings with you, gather yeah. information? Um, I, I know I read your, your social media out in the beginning, but yeah. just reiterate some of that uh, and then we can. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, I have, so my Instagram has a lot of information. I try and I'm literally posting, not for myself, but for everybody who always asks me on there because people mm -hmm. are always asking if I could do a post on something and just trying to spread information from the things I learned, because I feel like healthcare with a lot of things, like we just talked about birth control, it's not just with movement and strength. It's with so many aspects is it's just um, the, the real truth is kind of like hidden. So I'm just trying to bring out the truth of a lot of things. So my Instagram, you said it earlier, it's just my name and you can book with me if you need. And I do virtual sessions because to me, a good provider virtually is better than really one that can't help you in person. So um, I just am trying to spread awareness and help as many people as I can in the process. Awesome. And uh, just my closing thought is, is that there are not many people that seek to continually educate themselves, um, seek out truth. They settle with what they know um, and they just kind of accept the status quo. So I think anyone listening to this uh, would, would gather and really respect um, how much work you put into constantly learning um, and actually trying to help people rather than seeing like a conveyor belt uh, yeah. of people. So I think that's like, you know, kudos to you on that. I think it's really commendable. Thank you so much. And I appreciate that. 
Absolutely. So, uh, yep. Thank you for uh, joining on this episode of the Opposing Points podcast, episode number three. Um, so hugely, hugely appreciative. Thank you. Thank you for having me.